What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Wolfpack Ninja Podcast, Episode 28, Human Performance with Richard Diaz. Welcome to the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. I'm Megan Martin. And I'm Ian Dory. I'm Brian Arnold. And I'm Noah Kaufman, the Ninja Doc. Thanks for joining our weekly conversation about health, fitness, and all things Ninja Warrior. We will be interviewing all of the top American Ninja Warrior stars, and we encourage you to visit our website, www.wolfpackninjas.com. And kids, you can get your free Wolfpack Ninja Cub certificate there. If you like our podcast, please share, subscribe, and like on iTunes. Also, give us a follow on our social media. We're always posting new content, and you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Wolfpack Ninja and on Instagram at Wolfpack Ninja Warrior. Together, we can make the world a healthier and happier place. So join us. Hey guys, welcome to the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. I'm super, super, uber, super excited about the guest today. He is. I am. I'm really excited because I get, uh, you know, I can tell you're vibrating. Your energy. I'm shaking. I love to learn the scientific stuff behind, you know, how our body works. And I feel like when I know stuff like that, when I expand my knowledge, I can apply that to my workouts and stuff and, and see results and get better. I've done in the past. So you, you said good things about him. Yeah. Who do we have today? Richard Diaz. Richard Diaz. Yes. The Natural Running Podcast. This guy's got his own podcast. And so we actually did a two-part podcast. I'm I'm interviewed on his podcast. So go over there, check out the Natural Running Podcast and listen to the questions he asked me. We mostly focused on upper body grip strength and what we do as the Wolfpack to train on his podcast. And then he came over here and he talks about running and cardio and a ton of really interesting things you guys are going to see. And did you know that he coaches Rose Wetzel? Oh, nice. Oh, That's awesome. She's a she's a machine. She's a boss. I think that Rose Wetzel is such a phenomenal athlete, especially being able to watch her do the obstacle course racing stuff that she does on the Spartan race this season. We really get to see how incredible she is in terms of her athleticism and how fit she is. I mean, it's kind of crazy how fit she is. But aside from her athletic accomplishments she's also one of the nicest people i've ever met which is really cool she's always super sweet and she's always you know looking out for other people and very complimentary um i think she's an overall amazing person it's pretty cool i mean i think some of her athleticism is probably coming from training with this guy richard diaz who we're interviewing today yeah that makes total sense if he is the guru for obstacle course racing that totally makes sense as to where she would get some of her tricks of the trade. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to hearing what he has to say about cardio. You know, I feel like my training as a climber, I'm really good with upper body, but I'm always looking to uh, add more tricks to my bag and cardio. So it's going to be fun to see what he has to say. Okay, let's uh, take a word from our sponsor and then get right into it. Thank you, sponsors. Woohoo! 
It's great to be talking with Richard Diaz today uh, with Human Performance. Just a, a stand-up guy, and he really is helping a lot of athletes in the OCR world. And Richard, it, it's great to have you here, and it's great to be here with you. It's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I'm, I've been following you guys, and uh, I, I like to watch the program when it when I have a chance to see it. And you know, you guys are doing things that are right up in my wheelhouse. So I, I just love watching the competitions. Yeah, it's it's interesting because there's a lot of there's there's a lot of crossover, right? I mean, you're yeah. dealing with a lot of the OCR athletes and of course we have Rose Wetzel who's one of the great ninjas and and a lot of the ninjas do a lot of mud running and Spartan racing and the OCR stuff. And so there is a lot of crossover and there's, you know, this obstacle element and there's this aerobic element to all of it, isn't there? Sure. Yeah, it's a, that's exactly what it is. And, and you're mostly dealing with uh, endurance and, and aerobic and analyzing running and that sort of thing. Tell us a little bit about what you do. Okay. Well, what seems to be the, uh, the thing that people come to me for these days is initially a gait analysis. And clearly, if you're hurt, you can't train and you can't win. Right. So my first consideration when I work with people is to help them to improve their mechanics, to avoid the, the pitfalls that are associated with bad form that result in injury. And once that's done, once I got them moving well and get their kinematics and get them moving well with inertia as opposed, uh, as, as opposed to opposing inertia and kinematics, I start focusing on uh, skill sets, getting on the move better. But the other thing I like to do when I meet people is I like to do a VO2 test on them. Explain what a, a VO2 test is because there's a lot of people out there who probably don't know what right. that means. Well, the way our body processes energy is through oxidation. And the more oxygen you could take into your body, the more fat you, you can utilize as an energy source. And when the intensity of the work that you do becomes great, then your body's going to shift away from burning fat to bur burning almost predominantly sugar. And fat and sugar is essentially the two energies that you have in your body. And what I do is I do what's referred to as a direct gas analysis. Uh, I, I liken it to a smog check. It's like, what are we pushing back into the environment? And so as you're exercising, we're capturing samplings of your respiration. You're breathing through this pipe in and out. We're measuring the amount of carbon dioxide your body's producing relative to the amount of oxygen your body can take in. And so the greater amount of oxygen you could take into your system, the more energy you can utilize for work. And so... I like to use the analogy of someone like Lance Armstrong was famous for having a very high VO2 score. And, you know, to be clear, VO2 score is the, the number of milliliters of oxygen your body can process in a given minute relative to your weight in kilos of body weight. So, in essence, it's just a volume of oxygen you're processing. So, by measuring this and getting this information in front of me, uh, we can use heart rate as a training modality to help to improve your endurance and your stamina. And is that by trying to find a specific target rate that's best for for you know the athlete in particular, or is there a different way you're using heart rate? Well, there, there's what I like to refer to as a metabolic turn point, and there comes a point in the intensity of your effort 
where your body is going to leave one energy system and almost goes exclusively into this opposing energy system. And again, as I referred to earlier, fat and sugar. So when you get to a place where your body's pretty much gone away from its ability to access fat stores as an energy source, then the cost factor associated with being in sugar is becoming exceedingly great. Mm -hmm. And the problem with that is there's a limitation to how much sugar your body can store. So uh, on average, most people can store between 15, 1800 calories from sugar. And if you're into that energy source hard and you're, ex you're expending, for example, 900 calories per hour, then the limitation is how much time it takes before you exhaust an energy source. And the problem with that, too, is that your body doesn't say, okay, we're done with this energy. Let's go back and get the other stuff. It doesn't work that way. When, you, when you've pretty much exhausted your, your sugar stores, you're going to be doing uh, the death march. You're right. going to start walking. So what I look for first is this point in the road where your body shifted away from burning fat to sugar. That's an important bit of information. And then we look for progressive exposure to this toxic environment. And toxic environment would refer to uh, lactate tolerance. And it gets, starts to get complicated, but there's divisions of work that are marked by heart rate above and below this metabolic turn point. Hmm. Uh, and so the higher the intensity you're able to take on, the greater the amount of oxygen you can process, this starts to speak of your potential for fitness. And we also look for recovery heart rate. So how quickly your body can come back to normal uh, is very important. Yeah, and that's actually really huge. And just to just to kind of take take all of that science and take all of that physiology and kind of kind of bring it down and encapsulate it and and kind of make it a little bit more digestible. The the bottom line is we're trying to figure out how to make athletes better, how to improve performance. And obviously there's you know, for ninjas, for us ninjas, it's a little bit different because when we go out there, we run these super hard courses, but it really happens in just about two minutes. So we do develop the, a pump and we develop, you know, the, the failure a lot of times comes from lack of ability to recover, but it happens on a much uh, shorter time frame than, say, a long endurance race. Do you take those things into consideration when you're dealing with specific athletes? I do. I do. Uh, and realize, too, uh, from when we spoke earlier, I work with all sorts of athletes over the years. I've been right. doing testing for over two, t two decades now. And, I mean, I've, I've – well, for example, I'll give you a good example is hockey players. Mm. Uh, I've worked with uh, L.A. Kings, and I used to do preseason diagnostics for them which would be aerobic and anaerobic power test. So a good example of an anaerobic power test is what's referred to as a Wingate test. A Wingate test is a 30-second all-out power test. And what it does is it measures your, your power output in wattage. It converts your work to watts. Oh. And then you're looking at what's called your, your, your peak power, your, uh, a thing called your fatigue index, the point within that 30 seconds where you start to fade. And so let's look at that in, in uh, comparison to a ninja um, competition. Yeah. You know, you get into an effort very easily could be stuck up in an effort for 15, 20 seconds leading into another heavy effort that's 15 or 20 seconds, but the intensity being high, there's all this stuff that's going on um, that is going to cause you to fatigue. Right. 
And, uh, you know, again, it, it, it gets complicated and, you know, depending on the audience we're speaking with, um, has much to do with where we could take this. But uh, one thing that I've been fascinated with is this term referred to as the central governor theory. Yeah. And, and are you familiar with this? No, I'm not. What is well, it? central governor theory is not so much about energy um, dissipation. So that would be, um, um, they refer to that as a glycogen depletion model. So for someone running a marathon, they would say, okay, he hit the wall because he blew out his energy and he just couldn't function anymore. Yeah, he bonked. Right. And the central governor theory is something that was coined by a guy named Dr. Uh, Tim Noakes out of South Africa. Yeah. And the concept is that your central nervous system, being in charge of everything that occurs in your body, starts to dictate terms. So when things are starting to go a little ugly and it doesn't care for the way things are going, in other words, uh, your life is being threatened or potentially in danger, your central governor will start to shut things down to keep you from injuring yourself. So this could very much be a case, and I'm, I'm imagining in my mind these rigs that you guys go across where there's so much stress in your upper body, in your arms, in your grip, that it may cause you to fail even though there still may be the strength to do the work, but your brain's trying to let go. It wants you to stop doing what is causing you to potentially harm yourself. Interesting. Yeah, it's like a limiter chip, isn't it? Absolutely. What's one thing that's really interesting about that is as climbers and climbers have traditionally done very well on the American Ninja Warrior courses. Sure. You know, I, and and one thing that's really interesting about what you're saying is you can train to some degree the level of effort uh, that you're that you're putting forth into these courses. So, for example, Ian and I, Ian Dory, he's the wolf pup. He's one sure. of, one of the wolf pack guys. We were talking about we we did the finals course uh, in Denver a couple years ago, and we got done with the course. And as climbers, we always like to talk about difficulty. You know, we have a difficulty rating, and sure. so there's a big rating system. And I, I said, Ian, how hard was that course for you? And Ian said, Wow, you know that course. I felt like it felt like it was about V10. And V10 is a really difficult grade. And for me, Ian's a much better climber than I am. For me, V10 is like, I can barely do V10. Um, it takes a long time. I can't do a lot of V10s. If I have to try and do a V10 my first try, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's pretty much guaranteed. However, I finished that course as well. And he said, you know, how hard did you think it was, Noah? And I said, well, you know, Ian, it's, it's interesting. I thought it was V7. I thought it was about a V7. Right. And we talked about it a little bit. And what we realized is, you know, for Ian, he was probably trying as though the course was a V10. And I was trying as though the course was a V7. So he was probably actually uh, wasting some energy and making it a little bit more difficult for himself, even though, you know, and V10 is still a very easy thing to do. And so one thing that we've focused on is actually occasionally trying less hard and holding on with less grip, you know, because holding on to something is all about your strength and the friction between your hand and whatever you're holding on. Sure. And if you can relax your mind and hold on just with the precise amount of tension and and friction that you need, then you're going to save energy. But generally speaking, and that's a very hard thing to train, human beings hold on as hard as they can when they get onto 
upper body type of you know of situations and i'm not sure is that do you think that's true maybe for lower body type of stuff too you know i mean you can control how hard you're trying yes yes i think so absolutely and and by the way one of the things that i like to tell people i do when people say well what is it that you do i i i call it the two e's efficiency and economy mm. so the reason i look at gait is that represents efficiency you right. can move faster and at less cost, which speaks of economy. If your if your mechanics are right, absolutely. So and so that's the first thing you work on, right? Well, we look at the uh, the efficiency of movement, and then we measure the economy uh, coming in the door. So we we look at how well you're able to process fuel, and then we look at how well you're able to move in order to be more economical with your fuel, and that's really what it gets down to. And so, you know, the concept, and I, I try to avoid the, the terms, but when you start to get into these uh, really heavy um, contractions in your forearms, in your shoulder girdle, your traps, all these large muscles in your, in your shoulder girdle, and they're loaded up. And as you suggested, if you're able to relax a little bit, I would imagine that you can still achieve the goal without overstressing your body to achieve the goal. Is that kind of, kind of what you're saying? That's exactly what I'm saying. And you see it all the time on the ninja course and maybe everywhere else because there's guys who are out there who can do one-arm pull-ups and do all this amazing strength, the feats of strength. I, I know, for example, these guys are a lot stronger than, than myself, uh, but I've been trained through rock climbing and especially through sport climbing, which is endurance rock climbing, to, to be able to relax in situations. And so I don't get tired or pump out quite as easily as uh, people who are just naturally have a, a stronger pr uh, strength profile, for instance. So I think that's exactly what I'm saying. And I, I think it's critical to any performance athlete um, to, to have that, that kind of mental control over their exertion levels and, and over how hard they're trying. Right. It's, it's a really tricky thing. And, you know, one thing that you mentioned that I thought was interesting is when you're talking about like running, you have a specific repeatable muscular motion, which you can analyze. It's a little bit tougher with something as, I guess, dynamic as climbing, where it's always different. And there's such a huge range of motion of the shoulder girdle, for instance. It's really hard to, the kinematics, as, as you said, to get the, the analysis. You know, you can't really do a gait analysis no. on like a, maybe, maybe you wouldn't call it a nonlinear movement, but a, a movement that's so complex versus one that's, you know, repeated over and over. Right. It's, it, it's tough. So it's a little bit more challenging, but I think that's what climbers in general are trying to do and, and maybe ninjas as well because the more efficient we are the less we get pumped and the longer we able, we're able to hold on to these obstacles right. or to the rock wall and so it's really interesting what you're saying yeah yeah i love it and i think uh, what you're what you're touching on is I, it's, it's rolling around on my head and i'm getting excited okay yeah <laughs> but do, do you could if you could train your perception to prepare for effort so you look at something as you're approaching it and identify what specifically you need to trigger in order to achieve the end. So you were talking about, you know, gripping really, really hard where it may not have required that of you. 
So you're overgripping, which is causing you to be inefficient. Exactly. Where you start to develop an awareness. When and I guess we could use the term kinesthetic awareness, where you start to get a sense of, okay, I know what that's going to take of me. I need to gear up for that, or I'm gonna, I can lay back a little bit because it's not going to be necessary. And and if it's a performance end where you're having uh, multiple uh, challenges back to back to back, then you could start to govern the amount of intensity you put into your efforts. Exactly. I love that. Exactly. And that's that's what we do as rock climbers. And so what a lot of people don't realize, especially about grip strength, is that it's not about how strong your forearms are and how hard you can grip, but it's about how efficiently you can relax and how close you can get to perfection in terms of I'm barely holding on just enough to get the, the job done so that I can conserve as much energy as possible for the next movement. And, yeah, I mean, it, it's huge for us. So, for example, on and just to give it a real-world example, when we are in the gym or when we're out on a route climbing and we, wanna, we want to do the route or we want to you know, be able to do the obstacle, a lot of times what we'll do is we will train holding on to a specific grip and then we will purposefully slowly start to let go, slowly start until you can almost feel it start to slip. And then at that point, you know, you could put an arbitrary number on it. Let's say you're trying 70% of your ultimate grip strength. Uh, whatever it is, you, you start to develop an innate feeling for what the right amount of tension and pressure is. And so when I did that Ninja Warrior course, I ha- I was going through it. Uh, and it was a much easier course for me than it was for Ian Dory. Even though we were we were trying about the equal, you know, uh, we were trying basically equally for our relative strengths. But what it means is that if Ian had tried even less hard, then he could have gotten away with that and made the course feel like V7. And he would have had even more energy and more strength and he wouldn't have gotten tired. Because we both got similarly tired and exhausted from the course, but he had a little bit more in the tank. So if he had been able to relax a little bit more, uh, then it would have been just that much easier for him. And actually, that's the problem that he's had uh, on stage three, and it's one of the reasons he hasn't finished the whole course, um, is because, like most of us, it's really hard to get into that psychological state of not trying too hard, especially when something means quite a bit, like there's a million dollars on the line. Oh, yeah. And all you have to do is make it across this thing that independently is actually pretty easy for us as climbers. Right. So it's, Well, you it's know, you, you, you make me think of so many different things when you're saying this because um, to take it a step further, and, and we're kind of cross-pollinating between the sport of OCR and the, the sport uh, and the challenges of ninja work, but – when you think about, for example, the world's toughest mudder competition, which is a 24-hour, uh, five-mile course as many times as you can do it, right. and something in the neighborhood of, I don't know, 30, 40 obstacles, if you can get to a place where you function at 70% effort as opposed to approaching every obstacle with 100% effort, that's going to pay huge dividends, right? Oh, it's, it's, the, it's the difference. It's Absolutely. Huge. And so you, you, instead of failing rigs because you put so much into it in the early stages of the, of the night that you just didn't have anything left afterwards, 
for the better part of my career doing what I do, I've worked with adults. Yeah. And it wasn't that long ago that I started having kids show up at my door. And generally with, you know, parents have the kids in tow and they say, this is Bobby and Bobby's participating in soccer and Bobby wants to go faster, you know, the, the, the story or, and, and I started getting kids also that were experiencing, uh, overuse injuries. Ah, interesting. And so they'd come in, for example, Osgood Slaughters was one of the things that would, would show up in the kids that are just growing really fast and, and they're still trying to participate in sport and they start having problems and trying to work around and find ways to keep them in the game um, without having to stop them. But what was cool, what I'm getting at and what, what I thought was really cool is that we're regressing. As, as adults, we don't expect to see things get better. A lot of times we're just hoping things are not going to get worse. You know what I mean? Right. So like when you're 40 years old, and you're trying to run a marathon, for example, you're not going to run the same speed likelihood that you ran when you were 30. And so you just don't want to lose what you have. Where I'll get a kid that comes to me at 12 years old, we impart some skill sets, and we train them and teach them. They suck this information up like a sponge. Yeah. And then they come back to me like three or four years later, and they're like men you know, or, or, or women. And they've grown. And and just for fun, I said, look, let's get you. I have a high-speed treadmill that I put people on that, you know, the top speed is in in and around 28 miles per hour with about a 28, 30% grade. Wow. And, and I'll get them on there and just like for, for old time's sake to see what they're capable of. And now they have this grown body and they've adopted all the skill sets that we imparted to them when they were younger and now they still have all that and they're performing, you know, like, like, you know, grown athletes. And it's fun to watch that where, wow. you know, you see a kid, for example, gangly, size 15, 16 shoe, 14 years old, um, 5'11". And I'll see him. He comes back to me as a senior in high school. He's 235 pounds, six foot five, <laughs> just this beast, right? Wow. You know, and still has the same skill sets that I that I gave him when he was young. That now he's wielding like a professional. You know, he's just really nailing it. That's amazing. Where, oh yeah, it's so cool because I'll get a I'll get a guy that might be, for example, a collegiate athlete, and I'll find him, and he's. He's trying to eke out that little bit of speed or that little bit of talent that he's lacking to put him into the pro sports. And it's a lot tougher because he never had those original skill sets that that I was providing these kids when they were in their early, you know, early years, uh, you know, I want to say like 12, 13, 14 years old. That's so, incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's so important. It's so I mean, it seems like, you know, if you can instill like you do. Uh, a good basic skill set, a good the basics, basically, then you can build off that and you don't create these bad habits that we all kind of can naturally fall into. Like I'm a horrible runner right? And, and I'm pretty good at learning and you could probably help me. But imagine if I had started as a good runner with good technique and good mechanics, that might have changed uh, my athletic life because now I, I don't run very much and uh, – you know, it, for for me, it's not the way I get my aerobics. Right. Um, but I think it's, it, I mean, it's just critically important for for young athletes 
to to have the kind of training that you do, but it's so rare and so hard to find an expert in the field like like you. And I mean, can you imagine if we learned this kind of stuff in PE, this right. kind of high level? Uh, oh yeah, high level basics, right? It's kind of funny. Right. Well, I have, uh, you know, I don't want to go on too big of a rant about this, but I've worked with uh, coaches and cross-country teams, and generally it's in a private school, Yeah. where the coach would come to me, and he's identified that two or three of his, his teammates had come to see me privately, and immediately identified a big difference in the way they move and the way they perform. Awesome. And because when you've got 30, 40, 50 kids that you're working with at the same time, all the time, you really never get a chance to get personal with them and focus on flaws and, you know, try to eke out um, some improvements in their personal efforts. Uh, the cream rises to the top. The energy is given to the kids that are doing the best because they want to win, you know. And so the kids that are not quite there, they don't quite get the same attention, and they get despondent. Actually, it, it's, a, it's a bummer for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and I've, I've worked with kids who were that way where they were just a little frustrated. They want to participate. They want to get in the game. They want to be played. And it's socialization, too. If you don't perform well, nobody likes you. You know, you're not, you're not a stud, so you're right. not that popular. And, you know, it changes your whole dynamic. I, I had a kid that was autistic. I, 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 again, I promise not to rant. Here I go. No, go, go. This is interesting. I had a kid that his mother brought me him. He was about 13 years old. He's autistic. And she said he can't walk well. He's all over the place. He, neurologically, he's just tripping over his own feet. And he doesn't have any a systematic approach to movement. And she said, I don't expect you to turn him into an athlete. I just want you to help him to run or, excuse me, to walk better. And so I went to work on this kid. And actually, there's a documentary. We actually created a documentary about this. And I work with this kid. And the videos, if you look at them from the beginning in various stages that I work with him, in a matter of a few months, you could not discern that this kid was autistic or he had any any impairment in the way he moved. Wow. Well, I, I want to see these videos. This is I'm, amazing. I'm going to share you. I can send you a link. But – um, the, the end of the story is this. He went through high school, ended up running cross country, and I think his PR for the mile was about 440. <laughs> that just smokes me. <laughs> he ran He ran like a gazelle. When he was oh, that's awesome. And he couldn't do a lot of stuff, but socially he was accepted. People started to like him. They respected his ability to do the things he was doing uh, on the track and field. And he, his whole life changed because we gave him back skill sets that he was absent. And, and it just really made a big difference for him. And, and I can't tell you, I, that, that documentary I'm talking about has circulated around the world. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, because they're going, a lot of people call me out, go, no way, that's not the same kid, <laughs> you know? But anyway, for whatever yeah, Doesn't that make you feel good, Richard? Isn't that amazing? It took me probably – I showed that video to people for about four years in a row, and the hair on my forearms would stand up while they're looking at it. Oh, for sure. You know, it just messed me up at how how uh, empowering the whole thing was. And I, I went into it blind. I mean if you listen to the documentary, I, I said going in that I really didn't know anything about autism uh, yeah. before 
before we had that experience. And, you know, we we became friends and I got to know his family and we, we'd gone to dinner together and, and the kid, uh, you know, the kid can run like a, like a deer to this day. That's so, that's so cool. And, you know, it's the same thing we're trying to do. It's, I think, just imparting knowledge and passing it down to the, the next generation and steering people in the right direction so that they can be their own superheroes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and so the, the more broadly we can disseminate this knowledge uh, and, and just the wisdom of the experience of our dealings with the human body, the the more good we can do in the world. That's that's such a, a great story, Richard. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to send you the link. I yeah. want you to be able to see this. Yeah. I oh, I can't wait to see it. Um, and I'll, I'll share it in the show notes. Everybody's going to have to check this oh, out. Oh, no. Um, All right. I wanted, I wanted to ask you, you know, a, a question because obviously we got you on the phone and I, I want to tell you a little bit. We're, when we're running the Ninja Warrior course, we have to do these intense obstacles and then we get little breaks to recover our heart rate. We get sometimes 20, 30 seconds in between obstacles. And then they start saying, okay, you got to move. You got to move. We're going to dis, you know, we're going to take you out. And, uh, and, and so we have that little bit of time to, to recuperate. And so the way we train that we've been doing these hit workouts and these high intensity sure. training workouts. And, and one thing that I do, and I kind of just made this up and maybe you can help me optimize it or tell me if I'm doing something right it seems to be working for me but maybe i can do it better is i'll do this twice a week because it takes that long to recover from these i'll get on the exercise bike i have an aerodyne it's the upper body yep. and lower yep. body i love it but um i get on the exercise bike i'll warm up for about 20 minutes and i'll just uh, keep a heart rate between 120 and 140 just a, a pretty relaxed uh bike and, and then uh, starting at minute 20, I'll take my first five-minute interval session, and I'll go 20 seconds max sprint and then rest the rest of the minute, so rest 40 seconds. And then for the second minute, I'll, I'll step it up to 30 seconds and rest 30 seconds. And then I'll sprint 40 seconds on the third minute and rest 20 seconds. And then I'll go back down the pyramid, and I'll, I'll sprint 30, rest 30, and then sprint 20 and rest 20. By the end of those five minutes, I am wrecked. I mean, I'm like about to pass out, um, and it, it's just so hard. And I'll take five minutes, uh, and I'll just uh, try and recover, and I'll measure how long it takes to recover my heart rate down to 140, uh, down from 180, which is about my max. And uh, and then I'll rest for about five minutes, and then I'll, and then I'll do again, and, and I'll do another cycle. And generally... I aim for three cycles. I almost always end up giving up after two cycles, right. <laughs> to be honest, because it's so burly and it's right. psychologically very tough. Um, that seems to make me recover better because my times, my my heart rate going from 180 down to 140, uh, the time, it's yeah, it's a lot. It gets a lot quicker, even after a few sessions of that. It seems to to help me out. And the other wolves are doing similar things on a treadmill, but like I said, I'm not a great runner, and and you know it hurts my knees and back a little bit. But is there does that what does that sound like to you? What do you think when well, you hear that? The, yeah, the term the term that we like to use in those type of workouts is uh, essentially lactate tolerance training, and, and so realize that as you start to increase the intensity, your body's going to produce greater and greater amounts of lactate. And that burning sensation you get when you do that type of work 
is generally associated with the 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 hydrogen ions that are associated with the lactate that start to uh, irritate the nerve endings and cause burning cessation and cause you to want to fail. And incidentally, going back to this this concept of uh, central governor, I think it's actually one of the mechanisms that the brain uses to keep you from injuring yourself is producing greater amounts of lactate and causing you to actually fail so that you don't keep pushing on and, and destroy your heart. Uh, it's a theory. But um, what I like to have people do, and this is no different really than training a runner. And I tell people that lactate tolerance is, is like getting a flu shot. Yeah. This inoculation is preparing you for the ensuing virus. And if you get too much of it in your system too early, then it becomes toxic and it becomes a problem. Right. So you need to gradually introduce these toxins and give your body a chance to, to contend with them and mitigate some of the issues that are uh, the body's facing. So you're doing it on a timed interval. And a progressive reduction in the amount of um, recovery you get in the course of the workout. And, and that makes perfect sense. The the thing that I would alter or consider altering yeah. is, is that your workouts may not be so random in respect to how much recovery you get um, and the, you know, sticking to this regression process yeah. with the recovery. I would say like, let's say on Monday when I do this workout, I'm going to go a little bit longer and um, use your heart rate as a governor to determine when to produce the work again. So rather than getting fixed on time. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Because realize your heart rate response is tied to its ability to vacate that waste from the, the working muscles and, and get you back to homeostasis, right? Things are normalizing, so the pump starts shutting down again, right? Yeah. So rather than using time as an element for recovery, use heart rate and then have a schedule where um, – so, for example, if you went um, – uh, I'm just going to – hypothetically throw something out there. Let's yeah. say you do, you do a minute hard, or let's just say we're going to go a minute to uh, 170 as opposed to going to 180. Yeah. And then um, go hard for that minute and then let your heart rate recover to, to like 120. To, oh, all and the then, way, all the way to 120. Yes. So you're allowing the, you know, the ability to buffer the, all this, these toxins out of the muscles, things clear up and then produce another one. And do uh, if you're going to do, for example, a half an hour like that, that would be the intervals. And then you come back another day and maybe you allow greater intensity in the top end and then maybe shore up the bottom end. So you now you're instead of 120 or 130. And so use heart rate as the way to govern the intensity as opposed to time. And I think that if you don't do like a random ladder approach, but be very precise about the way you're approaching it. And so at the end of the week, the, the greater amount of intensity and the shorter recovery period would occur. Yeah. And in the early part of the week, it would be less intensity, but more recovery. Right, right. No, that makes sense. And, and so how many, I mean, how many times in a week could I, could I be doing this without, you know? Well, it depends on how much time you're going to spend relative to the rest of work you do, I guess. If you were to go, um, if you're only going to do like, uh, for example, a half an hour worth of work like that, 
Ah, uh, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I guess it depends on how you take it. Uh, yeah, I, I guess it probably... depends on your fitness, your age, all kinds yeah, of variables. Yeah. I would probably start out with a day-on, day-off kind of approach. Wow, okay. And, and just see how it fares. Um, one of the things that I do is I, I coach people online. Yeah. And what I do is I look at metrics. So I give them heart rate prescription, and then I have them go off and do what they do. And they send me back data. I'm, I'm going to look at their heart rate response relative to the recovery times, relative to the intensity, um, the variation of work, uh, cadence. I look at all these metrics, and then I can start to see whether there's a trend in their responses, whether they're improving or they're not improving. Um, I might find that some people respond better to um, a more intense, brief effort than someone that might do better with a longer, less intense effort, you know? Interesting, it's just, yeah. It's just very unique to the individual. Yeah. Uh, uh, for example, like with marathoning, we'll have people that will, um, they're looking for a taper leading up to an event. Right. And then I've had people that if I taper them, they perform terrible, where if I let them run right up into the race, even though I govern back some of the intensity, they fare much better. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's very unique. And that's why it's kind of cool these days to be able to look at all those metrics. But I would absolutely recommend getting a VO2 done yeah. and finding out what that, that threshold is, where that shift point is. And then you start kind of um, flirting with that, going up and, up and below, up and below, um, based on what you're trying to accomplish that given day. And, and then start looking at the trends and the way your body responds. Over-unders. Yep, over-unders. That is so cool. And now we, you mentioned, and, and that is really helpful. And I am going to have to get a VO two max. Now I've been wanting to for a while. I was coming to your town too. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm going to have to come to you, uh, Richard. It's going to be, uh, the wolf pack. You might have to, you might be taking on some American Ninja warriors besides Rose, you know, bring them, bring them. We'll, <laughs> we'll, we'll make a day of it. Oh, it's going to be fun. And what do you think about nutrition for, uh, you know, for endurance training and especially for what we're doing, like power endurance and interval training? Wow, that's a big question. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really interesting in the endurance world, there's a lot of scuttlebutt these days about becoming fat adapted. Right. And, yeah. and essentially um, staving off the carbohydrate. And a lot of these guys actually doing training sessions that are uh, carb depleted. They'll start out where they'll completely deplete their carbs. Um, and go out for three and four hour workouts um, with no carbs in their system to try to train their body to look for the fat. And I, I, to be honest with you, I think that the jury's out on, on respect to whether that's a good idea. I think that there's some people that are more susceptible to, to dealing with that type of training yeah. opposed to others. Uh, there was a faster study that was conducted where they took, you know, like a handful of guys that they, you know, muscle biopsies, they did MRIs on them, they, they did VO2 testing, and, and then they, they controlled their nutrition and they controlled their work to uh, identify whether, you know, one group would uh, fare better than the other, one being, you know, the carb-depleted uh, group and one being the carb-heavy um, group. Yeah. Uh, and it just didn't seem to uh, bear any fruit. There wasn't oh, like okay. uh, this, you know, it wasn't like this, oh, my God, you got to stop eating carbs. Um, I know that there are guys out there that are uh, shying away from carbs these days because they're saying that too much carbohydrate can lead to diabetes. And um, 
and my argument with that is if you look at the Kenyans, their their diet is 80% carbohydrate. And there's no diabetes in these villages. Right, right. Uh, so, you know, it's just really tough to tell. But for guys like you, I don't think you probably need near the carbohydrate that an endurance athlete does because, you know, short burst intensity, um, almost anything that you can – if you were even a low carbohydrate diet, you could probably get away with it. Yeah. Um, and because of the intensity, the, the, the muscle repair is probably a bigger deal. Um, so higher protein intake would probably be important. Right. Um, being leaner, not carrying much water. What, you know, incidentally, in the course of this conversation, uh, I'm looking at you and I know, you know, you're six foot two, 180 pounds. Yeah. You're not exactly the ideal body shape for Ninja. Right. Uh, you know, do, do you find that um, you go into these efforts where you're not going to come in or out of these events energy depleted, are you? Um, you I mean, you don't yeah, feel do you like mean? you're blown out, right? No. You know, well, you know, it's more of an emotional, psychological stress situation because because of the whole environment and the atmosphere. I mean, you blow your psychological, you know, energy. Uh, it's really incredible. It's much different than um, – just purely an athletic or physical challenge. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I never, no, right. I mean, you're running, you're doing this stuff for two to three minutes at a time, maybe, maybe once or twice a day, or if you're making it pretty far three times a day. So it's, yeah, it's very, you're not even approaching your, uh, glycogen depletion. Yeah. Your glycogen depletion or any of those things. As a matter of fact, nutrition wise, some of the things we talk about and we think about are, we want to eat nitrogen containing, you know, we want beets and, you know, and and we, we just want to blow open our veins so we don't get pumped and, uh, relax our smooth muscles. So we have kind of any kind of benefit that we can get from, uh, from natural kind of plant type sources. But, yeah, I mean we're we're not worried about having uh, carbohydrate gas in the tank, you know, to fuel uh, a really long journey. So it is it's very it's very interesting. Well, you know, you just touched on something that I think is pretty pretty fascinating. Um, taking in uh, beet juice. I'm assuming that you're you're doing some type of a juice. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes okay. we do a powder. Uh, we're not like brand specific or anything, but yeah, beet juice. Sometimes we'll even make our own, uh, um, you know, little salads and whatnot to eat a couple hours. Right. You know. Well, I, I use, uh, and I don't want to sound like an infomercial here, but I use Beetleet. Yeah. Have you tried it? Uh, I will now. What? <laughs> well, Beetleet is uh, it's powder form, and it's essentially a, a shot. You know, comes in little packets as a shot. You put it in about four ounces of water. Mm-hmm. And shake it up and drink it, and and it's equivalent to six beets. And wow. uh, a lot of the guys in OCR are using it, and they swear by it. And where it really seems to make the greatest difference is in high intensity, short duration work when that nitric oxide, I guess, is is a big deal. Yeah, it's fu- I mean, it's funny that we've naturally kind of uh, gone to that, and uh, yeah, it's. It's funny because it's a, it's I think it's a performance enhancing natural, you know, food substance. So um, that's pretty interesting, you know, because it really is important to get everything out of the machine, right? That you can sure, 
And sometimes if you can change the biochemistry a little bit and if you can tweak things, you know, in a healthy way, obviously, in a natural way, so that you can increase your performance, I'm all for it. I think any everybody should be doing it, you know. I mean, it's it's going to – and honestly, it's going to help you enjoy the – the performance a little bit more. And if it can stave off the pump, great. It's awesome. Because I've been taking it. I mean, here I am going to be 64 in December. Yeah. And I, I've been using uh, the the stuff every day. Mm. And I'm starting to notice actually days when I don't use it as opposed to when I do, when I go out and train. Yeah. And believe it or not, um, I actually have a group that I take out in the mornings and we, we work out and – and we go to this park. You know, some days we we do uh, functional strength exercises with a little bit of running, and some days we're just running. Right. But we go to this park, and it it has a horizontal ladder, and we'll always go and challenge that thing. Yeah. And I find that the days that I I go do that by using the beet juice, I, I think I notice a difference. That's pretty cool. And it gets my mind really thinking talking with you, Richard. So it's it's really cool. One of the things that I picked up from I'm gleaning from your site, yeah, and you you have uh, essentially this agenda, and you talk about the importance of staving off simple sugars and things like this. But one of the things that you that you 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 hit on, which is really a big thing with me, is recovery and sleep. Yes, and I find that a lot of the athletes I work with, the the biggest problem they have is is resting. And they don't realize how important it is to actually get uh, good rest periods, you know, where you're full sleep and maybe taking a day off, let the body recover. You know, they just want to hammer, hammer, hammer all the time. And unless they're injured, they're hammering. And it's just a really, it's a slippery slope. It is. And a lot of times, you know, we all have to remember that you really, you really are getting stronger when you're resting and when you're healing. Uh, and you're and you're improving a lot, and you know obviously you can do it too much. And finding the right balance for you as an individual athlete, and based on your genetic makeup and and your phys- physiology, it, it's it really takes listening to your body very well. And if you need eight to ten hours of sleep, you know, versus somebody else who needs six hours of sleep, I mean, you really got to listen to your body if you want to get the maximum out of the machine. And get the the maximum perf- the best performance. Yep, you sure do. Again, that's what's cool about being able to gather all these metrics these days is you could you could actually start to plot and see trends in respect to your performances relative to the things you've done to yourself. And you may find that the days that you were actually more recovered and the volume or the intensity of the work over the course of that week was lighter, your performances are better. You know, yeah. where where I, I mean, I don't know. With rock climbing, you guys, there, there's got to be a, a, a limit to how much time you could spend on your grip, I'd imagine, huh? Well, yeah. I mean, the limit actually, went once you're 20 years in, like a lot of, like everybody in the wolf pack is, the limit becomes the skin and uh, the skin on the hands, it, it'll, you know, break down and you get blisters. And so that'll limit you. And then if ultimately, if you're not varying your movement, you'll get tendonitis and whatnot. But uh, believe it or not, I mean, when when we're on good rock that doesn't hurt the skin and uh, when we're not climbing maximum potential, we we climb every day, you know, and, wow. and uh, 
That's what do you do about blisters? Yeah, blisters are are interesting. Uh, we have very specific things we do about blisters, and actually, this will help all the OCR guys that are doing bar work and getting into the CrossFit gym and getting the big flappers. And so here it is. This is a uh, this is the cure. This is the best way to heal it as fast as possible, as strong as possible. Uh, you take the after the workout after you you're done. Um, generally, what I like to do is I shower with uh, tape still on. Or, um, and uh, it just hurts so bad when the water gets in there and stings it. And we're talking about an open blister. Right. A closed blister, a lot of times we'll try and let them heal, but they'll turn into an open blister once you get back on a bar, you know, immediately. Right. So uh, an open blister, or, you know, we call it a potato chip. Uh, it's It hurts a lot to cut it flush uh, when it's dry, but if you let it get macerated in the shower. So you take a shower, and I like I said, I keep the tape still on. After the shower, um, the skin is all macerated and full of fluid, and then uh, the nerves don't function as well, so you can cut it real flush. And so that's the first step is cutting it flush, and um, the second step is depending on where it is, if it's over a crease on your hand, it's a real problem. If it's on a crease on the finger or whatnot, so you got to splint the finger open with a popsicle stick or an aluminum foam. And you you want to keep it dry so or wet rather so it doesn't crack, but you also need it needs oxygen to heal. So what we do is we use a, like a, a baby diaper ointment like with zinc oxide. Uh, zinc oxide, forty percent zinc oxide is tremendously valuable to skin healing. So you put that right on there. It's got like cod liver oil. It's it's all natural. It's great stuff. You put that on there. You put a bandaid on. You splint the finger open, and if you're really anal retentive and you want to heal this thing in a day or two as quickly as possible, you've got an event coming up or something, every four hours you change, you take the Band-Aid off and then you let it completely dry out for an hour or two. And then you put a little bit more uh, bacitracin or a little zinc oxide on there and you cover it for another three to four hours. And you alternate that. And that is the quickest way to grow skin and heal a blister. And oftentimes you can do it uh, 24 to 36 hours, believe it or not, you can get a good uh, usable layer of skin uh, so that huh. you can compete. Wow. Versus, versus if you don't do anything, it's going to take five or six days right. and it's going to start cracking and become potentially become a long-term problem. So just trying to cover it doesn't help, right? Yeah. It, you know, I mean, you, you know, skin on an obstacle is the best. If you start using tape, you're losing friction. It's much harder to hold on. You don't want to compete with tape. You don't want to climb with tape on rock. It's suboptimal, and it has a, a it's it's a much bigger detriment than a lot of people realize. You don't want tape, so best to heal it fast. Man, you are a, a fountain of information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've got a, a cornucopia of, of uh, yeah. Well, this is cool because this is a lot of the stuff that we don't get. You know, we I could talk all day about lower extremity injuries and best ways to get those sorted out, but I never uh, never seem to find the, that that those pearls of wisdom in respect to what happens with the upper body. Well, I see a really good synergy here, Richard. I think that we're going to have to perhaps even consider making this into a more regular thing because we've got a lot to talk about. I can tell we've got, yeah, we've yeah. got a lot to talk about. 
before we before we wrap up, why tell people how they can follow you, where they can go to your you know site, and, and how they can get a hold of you. What's the best way if they want to employ you uh, for your incredible help? How do they do that? Cool. Well, first of all, the naturalrunningnetwork.com is our podcast site. And we run a podcast every week, have been for years now. A um, lot of great stuff there. A lot of great people I've interviewed, people like yourself. And um, for work that I do, the best place is diazhumanperformance.com, D-I-A-Z humanperformance.com. You can find me there. You can message me, send me, you know, I obviously could be found on Facebook, but, you know, drop me a message if you've got questions and I'm happy to do what I can. Yeah, it sounds like the the website is an actually is an absolute must see. There, there's all kinds of great information uh, that you've shared with the world there um, on on all the to- a lot of the topics that we've been discussing. And then the the podcast, we got to start tuning in. This is awesome. You know, a, a bunch of the wolves, myself, not included. I'm not a big runner, but Brian and Ian are are big runners, and um, I, I can't wait to tell them about the podcast. And uh, we'll have the link on the show notes as well, the running podcast. Got to get you guys out to uh, the West Coast, and we'll we'll make a day of it. We'll get you all tested. Yeah. You know? Uh, and then, of course, our website that you've mentioned a couple times is wolfpackninjas.com. Yeah, I'm there now, and I've been looking at – I mean, there's just a ton of stuff here. Yeah. it's. A- I was surprised when you told me that this is your baby. You've been doing all this. Yeah. Yeah, I've – Oh man, my wife has been wonderful. She's let me really put some some good time and effort into into disseminating the info, growing the brand. And uh actually we have two ebooks on there, one for kids and then one for adults. And the ebook is the and you can get it on the the iBook store. It's the Wolfpack Ninja Training Manual and the Wolfpack Ninja Cub Training Manual. And in in the Wolfpack Ninja Training Manual, we go exactly through our workouts and how we train during the season and what we did to become uh, the team basically that put the first American Ninja Warrior on, on top of Mount Midoriyama. So uh, if you want, check that out as well. I think that's awesome. I think that anybody that's in the OCR would would do well to to pick up this ebook because clearly, you know, mastering these these rigs is is it's important i mean i, I always tell, tell people you can't win the races on the rig but you can you can win them running right but you certainly will have to fall behind if you fall off the rig and get his burpee out for the next uh you know they had uh a recently right uh lance armstrong uh did a ocr event and i think he had to do 180 burpees Oh, right, and so you got to. Here's a guy that here's a guy that was you know the, the greatest cyclist on the planet for years, right? And the the greatest uh, endurance capacity of almost any athlete of our day, and you know he, he I guess he just couldn't hang on to the to the rigs, and that's a whole lot of burpees. Yeah, and you're gonna if yeah no absolutely we should well, get him a copy. Yeah, yeah, we should send one to Lance. Uh, that, that's no, that's that's really funny, and it's true. You know, you're gonna win the the OCR type stuff with the running, but the obstacles, 
I mean, they're fun, and when you can just dominate obstacles, that's a real. It's just fun, you know. Yeah. It's 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 really neat the freedom that you you feel when you can move your body kind of effortlessly through this upper body stuff, and it's what makes this giant American Ninja Warrior course a huge fun playground. And I, and all the top OCR guys, if you're listening, you, you gotta you gotta come out and try some of the American Ninja Warrior stuff and do a salmon ladder, and it, it's. It's just a lot of fun, and we'd love to have all the OCR guys on the show. We love Rose and and everybody else. It's been amazing having you, Richard Diaz. You're awesome. You really help people with human performance. You're helping us. This is incredible information. Thank you so much for having us on on your podcast, and, and thank you so much for being on the Wolfpack Ninja podcast. I can tell we got a great future ahead of us and a lot of synergy. I really enjoyed having a chance to speak with you, Noah. I wish you guys the best in 2017, and, and I guess I'll have to wait on, wait and find out who wins this year, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I can't tell you. What a great interview. So many interesting things. Let's get a quick word from our sponsors, and then we'll jump into it. Well, I think my brain's going to explode. That was like information overload. That was That was a great interview, Noah. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I felt like we could have... We talked for like an hour and 50 minutes, and... He actually interviewed me and asked me a ton of questions, and all of that interview stuff is mostly on upper body and grip strength, and it's on his podcast, The Natural Running Podcast, which is also on iTunes. Just So go there and subscribe and check it out. But let's talk about what he had to say, cardiac stuff, and a lot of cardio and lower body advice for us, huh? I liked how at the beginning of the conversation – you guys were talking about movement, and the, one of the first things he, he does is analyze how you move. And I think as climbers and as I've coached people before, I do the same thing. I can watch people move on the wall and immediately pick out what they're doing wrong with their hips, with their toes, with their arms, with their feet. It's like infinite amount of things start to go through my mind. So it's pretty interesting that he that's where he starts because that's where I would start if I'm going to teach somebody how to be a better rock climber. So Yeah, it's that just was like cool. I think any sport's all about the – um, the fundamental, the fundamentals. So it's interesting to hear hear um, him. That that's where he starts, and it's got me thinking. I'm gonna maybe I like to watch myself when I'm doing when I'm working out and stuff. I like to record myself and you know watch myself on TV because I like to watch myself move. And maybe I'm gonna do that for you know more of the workouts that I do. Maybe I should record myself on. Yeah, camera. a lot of athletes do that. When it comes to recording myself, I don't really record myself from training sessions and like go back and look at it. I mean, I did in college for pole vaulting, like my coach would, we would go through like video and stuff. I do watch myself from competitions usually to see what I can improve upon. And like, if I have a qualifying round and I make it to a semifinal round, I'll always go back the next night and watch my, how I climbed in the qualifying round just to see if I can fix things. Like maybe I tried a boulder too many times or I wasn't breathing enough or paying enough attention to like, my efficiency and whatnot. So I do think it's really good to watch yourself. I just don't always do it on a practicing training basis. That makes sense. Yeah, I thought one thing that was really interesting that he mentioned was how Lance Armstrong, did you guys hear that? Oh, yeah. He like burpeed out. Like he couldn't do the upper body stuff. But of course, you know, the lower body he's going to dominate. But he did, you know, one of these OCR events and just he couldn't do the upper body and so he had to do burpees all the time. I guess that's what you have to do if you can't make it across a 
an easy uh, image of where I was going. <laughs> that's horrible. But, you know, it totally makes sense, though. I mean, uh, everyone specializes in so many things, and that's that's why I love Ninja, though. It's made me a, an all-around better athlete, um, and that's why I was so excited to hear him talk about a lot of these things that I've been learning about through listening to guys like him about, you know, VO2 max, because we never, ever, at least I myself, never even concentrated on that because you know i'm mostly boulder and you know i do routes um you know i'm a rock climber the focus is not on that it's like how how small of a hold can you hold on to or how hard can you squeeze and i think a lot of people don't realize that if you don't have that in your bag of tricks and you're not working on that it'll become a huge weakness and maybe that's why the best people like the best climbers or the best people in the sport are the guys that have don't have those weaknesses so i would be That's really curious i'd really i'd be curious to see that like, if we measured like chris sharma's um vo2 max or some of the other top climbers like sean mccall I, I i bet you they might have a a pretty good you know size lung capacity yeah and i wonder you know i know you've got a lot of questions we should get him back on and we should have you interview him brian oh i would love that i have so many things that i'd like to to know you know i always want to be better so and we should go out there, you guys, and maybe get our VO2 max tested. Yeah, we oh, should. Man. Smog test. Fun. Wolfpack smog <laughs> test. Wolfpack smog test. You know, that actually scares me because I know I know some of those tests are grueling. Like yeah. that anaerobic. Uh, the wind gate? Oh, my gosh. I've heard. I, do, I, I just know. I mean, I do. Me, you know, we do HIIT workouts, and we know how oh. how horrible you can feel during those. And Yeah. It's a mental it's, challenge to push yourself that hard, but that's what it takes to be a champion. It does, man. That's true. Yeah. yeah. Well, you guys want to do some tips? Yeah, let's do it. Yep, let's do it. Great episode, guys. All right, guys. So this week, I'm going to talk about a workout. And this workout, I actually just got done doing with Megan Martin and Daniel Yeager. And what it is, is a sprint, obstacle, sprint, obstacle workout. And we do this for about seven or eight obstacles. And it really teaches you how to slow down your heart rate and slow down your breathing and just focus on doing the obstacle. It's very, very important that you learn this skill because when you're on the show, something might happen. You might make a mistake. You, 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 all of a sudden, your heart rate starts racing. You get out of breath. You need to be able to do some of these obstacles tired. And... This workout really helps me. The obstacles that we had set up were precision obstacles, a lot of laches. Um, you just had to like be in the moment. And doing this stuff tired really teaches you how to you know, be efficient at this stuff. So anyways, give this workout a try, you guys, and let me know what you think um, you know, through Facebook or Twitter or... And um, I hope this helps you guys. See you next week. I think learning time management is very important. And for me, it was something I started learning in high school and then really learned in college. Because like I said, I've always done sports and balancing that with school and a social life is definitely really hard. And when I went to Vanderbilt, I was at a Division One school so and a private college that's the closest thing to an Ivy League without actually being an Ivy League. My workload was kind of intense academically, 
And then on top of that, I would have track practice five to six days a week. And then I also wanted to be a college kid and have fun with my friends. So it was always really hard. You know, sometimes you make mistakes and you decide to go to a party and then you have to suffer the consequences early in the morning at track practice the next day, but you live and you learn. So I think for me, it was a very good learning experience going to college and having to juggle everything because now I'm in the real world and I have to juggle all of the hats I wear. So (laughs) I think it's helpful that I went through that. Hey guys, Ninja Doc here, and today's tip is all about nutrition. Now, we've talked about nutrition a lot, and I just want to use this as an opportunity to remind you how important it is to take things into your body that are natural. As a physician, I see the problems with chemicals and preservatives and all these things we don't know the ramifications of until many years later, and some of these things could cause cancer. It's it's a really tough world out there, but some examples are bacon. Bacon is delicious. It's horrible though. Sodium nitrate. All these all these preservatives and salts are no good for you. And there's BHT in cereals. Anything you basically cannot pronounce very well your first try on a on a box of cereal or any food label whatsoever. You probably shouldn't be buying and consuming for yourself and your family. Think about it. Go out there, buy natural foods, stop supporting the big food industry that is feeding you chemicals. Would you feed your kids chemicals? Nah, I wouldn't. The way I like to train lower body is, honestly, I like to do HIIT workouts on a treadmill. So I'll do cycles of sprinting and then standing next to the treadmill and jumping back on. But I'll also do um, squats and basically just weighted machines. So I'll go through a whole cycle of those. I usually do four sets of 12 reps on squat machine, and uh, I'll do supersets where I'm doing two different machines, one back or all back-to-back, and doing sets of those, usually four workouts in that. So, And then agility, I like to go to parkour gyms, apex, or playgrounds, or sometimes even just in the mountains, jumping around on rocks. So, And that's how you get your legs stronger. Well, thanks, everybody. Good tips, as usual. And everybody out there listening, wait till you hear who we got in store for you next week. Casey Catanzaro. That's right. Call your friends. Call your family. Call everybody. Post it online. Let everybody know. We've got the one, the only, the legendary Casey Catanzaro. She's going to be with us for at least one episode next week. And it's a big week because it's also the Wolf Pack in Indianapolis for the finals. And what is going to happen to Ian, Megan, and Brian? How do you think they're going to do? Well, you'll have to tune in. It's going to be an incredible show. Please support the Wolf Pack and the rest of the ninjas on American Ninja Warrior. And we will talk to you soon. Thanks so much for joining the Wolf Pack Ninja Podcast. Tune in next week. Casey Catanzaro. Unbelievable. It's going to be amazing. Thanks so much for joining the Wolfpack Ninja Podcast. If you liked it, please tell a friend. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It would mean a lot. Remember to visit our website at www.wolfpackninjas.com and join us on social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter at Wolfpack Ninja and on Instagram at Wolfpack Ninja Warrior. Join us next time for another exciting episode with your favorite ninjas and informative health tips.
Well, when it comes to, to be very frank, when it comes to the whole ninja thing, uh, I'm, I'm a babe in the woods. You're not, you didn't do it with me. So you've got an idea for a business, the store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out, everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, only prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.